Switched on on FM 104 and I'm joined by the founder of Orb Media, Kira Sheehan. Hello. Hi, Louise. How are you? Good. And once again, we're taking a step into the metaverse and we're kicking it off with Julian Goff. What's happened with him? Yeah, so Julian Goff is an Irish writer um, and he was the lead singer of a band called Toasted Heretic in the 80s and 90s. Um, Very clever guy, very good writer, really, really good with lyrics. And he's gone on to publish many books and be um, an award winner, an award winning writer. And he has lots of short stories to his name. Now, this story about him caught my attention last year when it came out. And I'm surprised that we haven't brought it up before now because it popped up in my timeline today. But the story is around Julian Goff and the ending of Minecraft. Now, for those who don't know, Minecraft is one of the most financially successful games in the world. It's kind of like a platform where children or players can go in and they can build in Lego environments, which is kind of an endless environment to build and progress in, or they can play games separately, um, one of which is called the Ender Dragon. So Julian Goff was on Twitter um, back in around 2009. And so the game was created by this guy called Marcus, mm-hmm. better known as not in 2009. And he was getting ready to launch the game in 2011, but he didn't have an ending for it. He had already sold about 5,000 tickets for the launch event and he'd already sold a lot of games in the beta mode but he didn't have an ending so he put a post up on Twitter saying that he was looking for an ending and one way or the other he was connected with Julian so they had a conversation around the ending and the guy who created the game made it really clear he wasn't a wordy person but he was about the emotional connection and the universe and how the players were going to be connected in the game. Amazing. So Julian went off and he wrote the ending. Mm-hmm. And it was a poem that's about nine and a half minutes long. So when you get to the point where you have killed the Ender Dragon, this beautiful piece of literature scrolls up really slowly on the screen in two different coloured fonts. And it, it's as if the game is talking to the player within the universe. And it's really successful and people love it. Like people have tattoos of it on their bodies. Wow. And it's really, yeah, it's really highly regarded because it's so well written. Yeah. So anyway, he wrote it and he, as he said, he wrote it for his friend and it was a very personal experience and he really kept it about the emotion, the sentiment. And he was delighted that it wasn't edited and it just went in its full glory, went to into the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway. What followed then was that he never signed a contract at all because it was kind of never agreed beforehand. And afterwards, there was documentation that kind of began forwards and backwards conversation. But really, it ended up in the weeds at the point where he should have appointed an agent and he didn't. Or he should have passed it over to his agent. Yeah. And yeah. he didn't. Well, it probably got to a so, point where they realised how successful it was going to become. And suddenly we're like, oh, no, we're kind of we haven't even tied anything into this. But even when it wasn't finished, he had sold between five and six million copies in beta at $15 right, a copy. Okay. So at that point, it was a $100 million game with okay. no ending. So it was okay. So it was already successful. Wow. Yes. So then they paid him 20,000 euros and they promised to help promote his work. And he said he got the money and he was absolutely broke. So he was delighted. Mm-hmm. But he but he didn't sign any contract. So. A while later, a couple of years later then, August 2014, he received an email from the company and they said they were doing a little bit of housekeeping and would he just mind signing the contract that they never sent him. Mm -hmm. But when he took a look at the contract, it was against everything 
about his art and his ethics and his ethos and how it was written. He said it was a horrible contract and he refused to sign it. So then he found out from a leaked story on the internet that Microsoft was buying Minecraft for 2.5 billion. Wow. And he suspected that that's why they wanted to sign the contract with yeah. the housekeeping. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what pursued then was kind of a um, a very sad situation where he, as far as he agreed, he only he had agreed to write a story for a friend and that was it. And he agreed that the story could be shared in the inference of in the, the game, game and yeah. in that environment. Mm-hmm. So when it became clear that he wouldn't sign the contract, he was told that, oh, well, it doesn't matter because they don't need the contract anyway. So as he said himself, at any time over those eight years, he could have got lawyered up and he could have said to the lawyers, go and get me whatever you want and I'll give you a percentage. But he didn't. So time went by anyway. And what he decided to do was to liberate the end poem. So he decided that he was going to gift the end poem to the universe and to anybody who wanted to use it. So he liberated it from the corporate economy and placed it officially in the gift economy. Because obviously he still owns it, doesn't he? It's his work. Yes, but he's gifted it now, you see. Okay. So he says technically and legally he could stop people because he holds the copyright, but he renounces his right to do so. And what he said I thought was quite beautiful. He said the universe wrote that ending and the universe owns it which is to say both that nobody owns it and we all own it, which is to say it lives outside of that way of looking at art. Mm-hmm. So um, it's phenomenal to think that we have this huge ecosystem known as Minecraft that 174 million players played in October and that the ending was written by an Irish writer from Galway who never got paid a very large amount of money for writing it. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? But I kind of love that mm. he got his ending, I suppose, in a way where he was able to liberate it and kind of get some sort of justice, I suppose, for it. Yeah, that is a really, it's a really good way to think about it. It must have been a hard eight years for him as a writer. Yeah. Knowing that he had impacted so many people and so he had so many super fans. Yeah. And still does, and probably even more so now, I'd imagine. Very, very admirable, I have to say. Yeah. I don't know if many would do that, to be fair. I don't know if I would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would really question you, wouldn't it? Just as a person as to how you'd uh, how you'd approach it or how you deal with it. Mm. And could you be true to your artistic morals yeah. as a writer? When we get to something like that, this is it, exactly. And I suppose from Julian Goff to Nicki Minaj... Yeah, so we were talking earlier on about Nicki Minaj, that she launched the debut of her last album in Roblox and has created a whole metaverse for herself where you can go in and you can be Nicki Minaj Mm -hmm. and you can go into Gag City, as it's called, and you can have avatar, your avatar, you can win little pets, shoulder pets for your avatar. And she sees it as a really meaningful way to connect with her fans in the Roblox community. It's kind of nice just to see them engaging with it and trying out new things. And to be fair, it's it is lovely and pink. Like it, it looks nice. The visuals are very intriguing, and there is an option to spend all your Robux 
within the game itself mm-hmm. and the music industry kind of sees it as a deeper way to connect with an audience um, where it's a very one-to-one level when your Nicki Minaj is in a game playing with another Nicki Minaj mm-hmm. and it's really good for brand awareness. Yeah, and I can imagine a lot more artists are probably going to do that in the next couple of years as well. They're all going to be thinking about how they can place themselves into the metaverse, I assume. Well, yeah, and the thing about the metaverse is that First of all, it costs a few quid to do it. So you have to, your label will have to invest significantly. But I think there's going to be a challenge around different genres of artists and different demographics because not everybody's going to fit into the Roblox demographic. Yeah, that's very true. Well, we'll just Which have to... then opens up the market for a different demographic in a different type of metaverse. Yeah. I suppose it's that one way to expand it as well then, if they're kind of trying to bring more people into it. Well, yeah, because the te- the typical demographic in the, in Roblox would be between seven and 13. Okay. So I'm sure like there's lots and lots of Nicki Minaj, fa- Minaj fans who are outside of that demographic. Yeah. And, you know, who might be curious to go in and see how it works and see if they like it. Yeah. But I suppose in a way for a label and for an artist to connect almost like a brand, like from cradle to gra- grave fan loyalty, it's a really clever hook. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we'll just have to wait and see who else kind of jumps on board in the next few years. But Kira Sheehan, founder of Orb Media, thank you so much for chatting to us. Thanks, Louise.